The scripture reading this morning is from Romans, chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned, condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are on the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit of life because of righteous, is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, for the past couple weeks, we've been looking at the Trinity and particularly the Holy Spirit. In the first week, I talked about God being three persons but one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I said to think of God in sort of three senses. I don't know if you remember this. God up there, God right there, and God in here. And I think that's a helpful way to sort of think about the Trinity. Last week, I talked about the Holy Spirit, the God in here. How the Holy Spirit is a person with intentions and actions who is fully God. He's called a helper and a comforter. He's associated with power and he's to fill believers for both salvation and for sanctifying or making him holy. And I ended last time mentioning kind of briefly about the fruits of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. And so I want to dive a little deeper into those today as we talk about life in the Spirit. Think about all the language that Paul uses related to the Holy Spirit. Here, here's just some of it out of Romans 8. He says to walk according to the Spirit, to set your minds on the things of the Spirit, to put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to know the fatherhood of God by the Spirit, to hope in the Spirit, to pray in the Spirit. All very action-oriented, right? To walk, to do, to be filled, to, to be led by. In other passages, Paul mentions to be filled by the Holy Spirit. To serve in the Spirit. To love in the Spirit. In other words, the Spirit should be an active part of the life of believers. Okay, The Holy Spirit is what brings you to Christ. And the Holy Spirit is what continues Christ's work in your life. And if we do this, we should be producing fruit. Paul in Galatians 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit as, as opposed to the works of the flesh. Okay, so the works of the flesh, he lists a bunch of them. I'll give you a couple. He says sexual immorality, idolatry, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, divisions. 
But by contrast, Paul says if the Spirit is in your life, there's different fruit. We should see different results. You may have heard these before. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In other words, if the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, other people ought to see these kinds of things in your life. And, and if, if for some terrible reason you had to have a funeral and everybody was talking about you and the Holy Spirit was really working in your life, then you would expect people to talk about how loving and joyful and peaceful and patient you were. But we don't always sound like that, do we? <laughs> Anybody, anybody have one of those fruit of the Spirit that's a little bit of a jab? Like, I got some of these, but patience. I don't know about patience. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not, I'm not, like, I love some, but, you know, and maybe gentleness, that's not the word I would describe you by. You know what I mean? Maybe everybody's got one or two that you're like, I'm not sure about that one. And I would say if you're not bearing these kind of fruits, you got one of two problems, or maybe both problems, okay? Either something's blocking or you're not walking, okay? Everybody say that. Something's blocking or you're not walking. Say it again. Something's blocking or you're not walking. Okay, let's, let's explore those. First, let's understand something blocking the Spirit. Paul uses the language of grieving the Holy Spirit in Ephesians chapter 4. It actually comes from Isaiah 63, to grieve the Holy Spirit. What that means is to, to not listen to the Holy Spirit, okay? to sadden, to have a grievance. Maybe that's a better word for you to understand it. The Holy Spirit has some kind of grievance because you're not doing what the Holy Spirit is leading. Paul also uses language in 1 Thessalonians 5 not to quench the Holy Spirit. Okay, as if the Holy Spirit is a fire and you can put a wet blanket on it. Okay, you can pour a bucket of water on the Holy Spirit. Okay, think of the Holy Spirit kind of like a faucet in your life. Okay, if things are going the way they should, the water is turned on and the Spirit flows. Okay, and it's an amazing thing happens at your faucet, right? When the Spirit flows, when the water flows, there's more water behind it. It keeps going. Okay, so... Paul seems to be saying that you can turn the water off, that you can somehow not live in the Spirit and live by these other ways. Instead, be filled with other stuff that is not the Spirit. Or some people have junk in their life, okay? It's, it's like it's clogged. And the Spirit can't flow because something happened, because of bitterness, because of anger, because of all kinds of things that, that are blocking the Holy Spirit's flow in your life. So sometimes... There's something blocking. Other times, you're not walking. Paul uses a lot of active language to walk, to fill yourself, to set your minds on, to put things to death that are not of the Spirit. And so there is a responsibility that you and I have to actually connect with the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit. We can plug in. We can turn the faucet on. We can grow sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Okay, The, the church has had ways of doing this. We called them spiritual disciplines. Okay, It was like exercise for your spirit so that you got to know the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit could flow through you. Stuff like prayer, Bible study, worship, silence and solitude, spending time in creation, 
There are active things that you and I can do to have the Holy Spirit be, to be filled and to have the Holy Spirit be moving in us and to make us sensitive to the Holy Spirit. To clue us into that voice, that still small voice, that whisper in our lives of the Holy Spirit. Okay, I think I, this is one of my, my images of the Holy Spirit for me. Okay, my dad has, some of you have met my dad, he's been around a little bit. My dad has a deep voice, okay, it's kind of a standout voice. And I have done a lot of work with my dad. My dad and I used to, like, he was not just dad, we taught martial arts together. Uh, we used to run ropes courses together, and then we did a lot of pastor stuff together. We run a lot of retreats and things together. I'm going to tell you right now, I know my dad's voice. I just know it. And when my dad comes here for church or something, okay, I know he's here before I see him because I know that voice. I am tuned into that voice. Okay, that's what we need to do with the Holy Spirit. Okay, we need to be tuned in. We need to get familiar with it. And one of the major ways we do that, by the way, is Scripture. Okay, if we believe that the Holy Spirit inspired Scripture, what better way to know the voice of the Holy Spirit than to listen to other people that listen to the Holy Spirit? Okay, this is the Scripture is what the Holy Spirit sounds like. So that's partly how we get in tune. We listen to the Holy Spirit. Now, I realize as Presbyterians, we're not used to talking about the Holy Spirit. Okay, we, that's something those Pentecostals do, and we're not always sure about all this Spirit stuff. So let me just make a, a few of my own personal observations about living in the Spirit. Okay, First, I think it's important to note that the Holy Spirit it does not work in any particular way. Okay, The Holy Spirit, if, if we take seriously the idea the Holy Spirit's a person, the Holy Spirit is in that way sort of unpredictable. Sometimes I wish the Holy Spirit would speak clearly to me, but I've never heard a voice. It's never happened to me. I know people that it's happened to. It's never happened to me. Um, the same thing goes with how we feel about the Holy Spirit. Okay? Sometimes the Holy Spirit has really been with me, and I didn't feel it at all. And I only knew the Holy Spirit was with me in hindsight. And sometimes I feel the Holy Spirit very close. My point is, drop your expectations. Okay, drop your expectations with the Holy Spirit because I can about guarantee you the Holy Spirit is not going to do what you expect. Okay, in the scriptures, the Holy Spirit never does what you expect. I've also been surprised how much the Holy Spirit sounds like me. Now think about this for a minute. If, if we really believe the Holy Spirit is in us and filling us, what that means is that when the Holy Spirit does speak and lead, it's often through my intuition, it's often through my conscience. It's often through a voice in my head, which means it sounds just like me. Or in the case of conscience, sounds a lot like my mom. Okay? So here's the problem. The problem is to live in the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit. The hard part then is to distinguish what's Jordan and what's Spirit. Everybody see that? What's my mom and what's Spirit? Okay, but that is the very nature of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is indwelling you, then that's the hard work of discerning the Spirit. Okay? You have to understand that a lot of times the Holy Spirit does sound like you. And sometimes what you think is, is uh, sometimes the voice in your head is not good, right? So you've got to be able, that's, that's why the practices are so important. That's why Scripture is so important. Because it trains you to be able to see, okay, that is not what the, the Holy Spirit wouldn't say that. Okay? That's got to be me. Okay, this, I wouldn't say, this sounds more like the Holy Spirit. This is also why the Holy Spirit works often in community. Okay, 
or the way my teacher Len Sweet likes to talk about it, the Holy Spirit often leads in surround sound, okay, in stereo, where you're hearing multiple things, and sometimes they're conflicting. But sometimes what you got to do is you got to check the spirit. You got to say to your spouse, you got to say to a good spiritual friend, hey, I'm thinking about this. I think the Holy Spirit is saying this. What do you think about that? And a lot of times the Holy Spirit is revealed in community, not in our personal lives. Okay, so that's why you got to have spiritual friends. That's why you got to have spiritual connectedness because the Holy Spirit doesn't just fill one person, it fills groups. So there's a couple of my own reflections, stuff I don't hear people talk about a lot, but, but things to think about. Now, the, the other big element of this, then, is this, this Holy Spirit is working in your life, and you're filling. Then uh, you should be producing fruit, but also the Bible talks about what's called spiritual gifts, and I get a lot of questions about spiritual gifts. And as I prepped this sermon, I thought, well, this should have been two sermons on its own, just the spiritual gifts part. But it's not, so here we go. Okay, Paul develops the idea of spiritual gifts, particularly in Romans 12 and in 1 Corinthians 12. And the idea seems to be this, that God gives us lots of gifts and lots of abilities, and they really are from God. And, and you can look at your life and say, you know, God made me good at this, God made me good at this. Okay, I find with, uh, with finances and numbers, you either got it or you don't got it. You know what I mean? And, and so God, God gives you, you have natural abilities that God gives you. But, but Paul seems to be saying that there are these other things called spiritual gifts that are given to believers uh, for the building up of the community and the church, okay, to build the kingdom of God. And so these are gifts that are sort of in your life, but as the spirit moves, you begin to discover them and you begin to develop them. Paul gives lists in both passages, Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. An interesting thing about the lists, they're not the same. Okay? Romans includes prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, contribution, leading, and acts of mercy. 1 Corinthians includes wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, working, miracles, prophecy, distinguishing spirits, various kinds of tongues, and the interpretations of tongues. Okay? What that means is Paul was not trying to be exhaustive in either list. Okay, there's lots of different gifts. And if you go into other parts of the Bible, you'll find apostles, teachers, evangelists that aren't even listed with Paul's gifts. So I, I think sometimes it's helpful to, to talk to people, to maybe take a spiritual gifts test to understand what your spiritual gift is. It's been very helpful in my life. Okay? Um, when I talk to people, a lot of people assume I have a spiritual gift of preaching or teaching, which I do not. A lot of people think I have a spiritual gift of leadership, which I do not. Okay, my spiritual gift is called exhortation. It means to incite action. It's a gift. It means it, it's sort of building up people, challenging people to grow. Okay, that is my spiritual gift. Okay, that I'm always challenging. And if you watch me in a meeting, I'm challenging everybody to grow and learn. Okay, if I had the gift of teaching, I would be really teaching the Romans passage. Okay, but you notice I'm dancing in and out of it because it's not about the passage for me. It's about your experience in the Holy Spirit. See, I'm, I'm doing exhortation. And that's helpful for me to know. I, I know a lot of pastors don't know their gifts, so they're not used to working out of their spiritual gift. And I think people are the same way. So for me, it's been really helpful to understand who I am and who God made me to be so I can act out of that. Now, 
People often wonder about the more charismatic or miraculous gifts. Tongues, the interpretation of tongues, prophecy, healing, and miracles. And so let me, again, this could be its own sermon, but let me, let me try here. Okay, some of these make sense to us. Prophecy, speaking the word of the Lord. Healing and miracles, we as Presbyterians don't know what to do with those, but they, we know what they are. Tongues, we don't really understand. Uh, in the Bible, there are two kinds of tongues. First, in, in Acts, uh, Peter speaks in his language, probably Aramaic, but at Pentecost, everybody hears it in their own language. Okay, so there is a sense of tongues as a, uh, a, a, a crossing language barrier. But there is also in the scripture, uh, seems to be uh, tongues as a prayer language. Paul talks about speaking in the tongues of men and of angels. And I've been around people who speak in tongues in their personal prayer life. And I've also been around when people sort of utter in, uh, in the spirit in a language that is unknown. It's, an, it's a heavenly language. In which case, the Bible would say you need an interpreter. That's a special gift of being able to hear that and give that message from the Lord. Now, we see these gifts heavily in the early church, right? In Pentecost, in Acts. Uh, we don't see them near as much today. Some of you may have never seen them. Um, there are some that even say that they don't exist at all anymore. These would be called cessationalists, saying that the gifts ceased, that they were only for the early church, for the building up of the church, but now some of these miraculous gifts are no longer around. You may have heard that view because a lot, there's a lot of Reformed, a lot of Presbyterian people uh, that follow that view. I find um, there's other side of that where I've been around traditions where they think everybody's supposed to speak in tongues. Anybody got a relative, an in-law that, that is from this view? There are some people who think you're not saved until you speak in tongues. Okay, And so I have actually in my life had people tell me that I am not truly a Christian and I am not truly saved. I'm a Presbyterian minister. But I'm not truly saved because I never spoke in tongues. I find both extremes too extreme for the scriptures for me. Okay, I don't see any reason why in the Bible. I don't think I don't, I don't see any reason why in the Bible those gifts have to have stopped and no longer happen, though they clearly happened a lot more in the early church. Okay, I see also no reason why the gifts uh, like tongues are are something you have to do. Okay, and I've been around it. I've been around it more than a lot of Presbyterians, and I've been around it in both when it was weird and when it seemed normal to me. Okay, when I was in high school, I was at a retreat where people tried to get me to speak in tongues, uh, and uh, it was very weird and awkward. And I just simply, in my Presbyterianism, said, no thanks. You know what I mean? And I've never spoken in tongues. But I have been around, uh, uh, I remember also in high school, I was uh, at all places at General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church USA, and there was an organization called Presbyterians for Renewal that had a very charismatic worship service where the Holy Spirit really showed up and people did speak in tongues. And I didn't, but I remember there it being very normal. It just didn't feel weird at all. It just felt like a movement of the Spirit. Um, and so I've been around these things when they're weird, and I've been around these things when I'm normal. When they're normal. And so when I come to church, I don't expect anybody to get up and speak in tongues. Um, but if you have that gift, you don't have to be ashamed of that gift. And maybe whatever your gift are, I would love to talk to you about what your gifts are. Um, but for the most part, we Presbyterians like order, and so the gift, the spirit, the spirit doesn't seem to work that way in our midst. 
But, but let me make a couple observations about spiritual gifts then. Okay? First of all, I find a lot of Christians get their spiritual gifts confused with their natural abilities. Okay? They say, I'm a good teacher, so I must have the gift of teaching. Okay? Or I have wisdom and business savvy, so I must have the gift of wisdom. But, but remember, the spiritual gifts are for what purposes? Spiritual purposes for the building up of the church. And so just because you're a teacher doesn't mean you have the gift of teaching. Okay? Again, your abilities, I think, are from God, but that's different than a spiritual gift. A spiritual gift is something where you're teaching scripture, where you're giving spiritual insight. That's wisdom. And how do you know the difference? Well, here's, here's what I would tell you. Okay? When I'm working out of my strengths, I feel strong. But when I'm working out of my spiritual gifts, I feel very small. Because I feel like it's not me, it's something else. Okay? That's a good sign that it's your spiritual gift and not your natural ability when you actually feel like it's not you. Okay? Um, so, uh, I have some abilities in terms of preaching and in terms of speaking. Okay? But when it's really working is when I feel invisible. When I feel like the Spirit's just doing some ex- exhorting through me. Okay? Um, second, spiritual gifts are often connected with our weaknesses, not our strengths. Okay, so if you, if you think I'm good at that, that may not be your spiritual gift. Okay? Because if it's a spiritual gift, you're not good at it. The Spirit's good at it through you. Okay? So a lot of times we get those confused. We don't understand our weaknesses. Okay? Um, so this is my third year at this church. I have some weaknesses. Okay? And... Um, I am not as strong at pastoral care. I would much rather read a book than do a visit. That's just who I am. Okay? And I am not very good administratively. Like, I get by, but I'm not that detail-oriented person. But here's what I have found in my own life. Some of my best exhortation, some of my best building up and challenging of people have come through my areas of weakness, have come through pastoral care, have come through administration. And so I, I do a lot of work in those areas where I'm weak because I find that actually it's like my weaknesses and my spiritual gifts are two sides of the same coin. Okay? Another reflection along those lines is that we confuse our roles with our abilities. So we assume if I'm going to be a deacon, I ought to have uh, a deacon's heart. I ought to have a servant's heart. Okay? And if I'm going to go on session, I ought to be a leader, right? Well, No. The role and your gifts are not the same thing. And sometimes we sacrifice our own gifts for what we think the role should demand. Okay? And that sells the spirit short. The best thing you can do if you're on session, if you're a deacon, if you're in whatever you're in, is to use your gift in that role. Don't try to play the role. Try to be yourself and let the spirit work through you. But you've got to be pretty in tune with what your gift is and what the Holy Spirit is up to to get to that point. This is always fun in church because we ask you to do a lot of stuff around church. And people will say, I don't have, a, I don't have any abilities in that area. And I say, perfect, that may be exactly where you're supposed to be. <laughs> okay? Because if we all just did what we were good at, then no one would work with junior high ministry because no one is gifted for that, Right? And nobody would do this, and nobody would. Maybe where you feel like you have nothing to offer is exactly where the Spirit wants to put you because the Spirit has something to offer. And if He puts you there, then you stay out of the way. And the Spirit can actually do what the Spirit wants to do because that's 
the whole work of the Holy Spirit, the whole work of the Holy Spirit is to be at work in and through you. Okay, the whole work of the Holy Spirit is for you to always be dying to yourself and living to Christ. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes if we would just get that and get ourselves out of the way, I think the Spirit would have a lot more to do in our communities and would have a lot more to do in our lives and have a lot more to do in our church. If we would just focus on being sensitive to the Holy Spirit and getting ourselves out of the way. So, my exhortation to you is to walk in the Spirit to take up spiritual practices, to know what your spiritual gifts are, to deal with the gunk in your life that is, that is blocking the Holy Spirit from bearing fruit in your life. And don't be surprised when the Spirit leads you into your weaknesses because often that is the place where the Spirit has the most room to work in your life. Let's pray. Spirit, fill us. Help us to see where we are blocking your movement. Give us a sensitivity to what you are saying. Let us know what our gifts are and let us have the boldness to humbly be who you made us to be instead of who everybody else wants us to be. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.